I'm almost uh, to where I'm going to preach the gospel. And I wanted to talk about um, something that's very essential for anyone who's going to go preach the gospel. Now, uh, before I begin talking with that, I want to challenge you and ask you a question. Is telling someone who is not looking for God, is lost in sin, is telling someone that, um, hey, Jesus loves you, is that going to save them? And I'm going to tell you from what I found, what I concluded by looking at the scriptures, not my personal opinion, but just from what I concluded from the scriptures, and I'll explain, is that no. Unless it's a very, very specific instance where God has already been working on this person and the Holy Spirit tells you, hey, just simply tell them Jesus loves you. In which case, he's already been doing something. But generally speaking, and of its own accord, telling someone Jesus loves you is not going to win them over to Christ. And I'll explain why. Okay. Paul quotes Isaiah in Romans 3 and says that there's none in righteousness, no, not one. There's none who seek after God. And so, in telling someone Jesus loves you, well, why wouldn't he? You know, of course he would. I'm not that bad of a person. And it's going to go no further than that. Because, and this is where a lot of people who preach and who preach biblical truths kind of get it wrong. Or, not that I'm trying to say they get it wrong, but where, where they're off is people need to understand their need for a savior. Now, where I come from with that is from Psalms 19:7, I think it is. It says, "The law of the Lord is perfect in converting the soul; the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple." And also in Galatians 3, the law is our schoolmaster that leads us to Christ. That in order for someone to know that they need a savior, they need they first need to understand why they need saving in the first place. And the law reveals that they've transgressed God's law. The law helps someone understand that they've wronged God and that they've provoked him to anger. Psalm 711, God is angry with the wicked every day. And these are these are just facts. These are scriptural. And that doesn't mean I'm a hateful person when I preach the gospel. And that doesn't mean telling someone their need for a savior, i.e., the wrath of God, the judgment of God, and revealing sin is the good news. No, I don't confuse the two, but both are necessary. Uh, the good news is simply, Jesus did everything that is required of us to satiate the wrath of God on our behalf. That Jesus has provided a holy, righteous, wonderful, merciful, loving way to escape the wrath of God and to forever, for all eternity, be justified in the eyes of God and not have to worry about the life of sin that we had lived at that point because Jesus forever justifies. That's the good news. That being said, just coming from what the scripture says, telling someone their need for a savior is just as necessary as telling them that they have a savior in the first place. Uh, again, Psalm um, Nineteen seven. The law of the Lord is perfect in converting the soul. Is that the? Is that all the the laws that the Lord gave the Israelites? You know, as they were traversing the desert and you know going into the Promised Land, that was very specific for them. And aside from that, Jesus has fulfilled all law, including the specific law that actually applies to anyone and everyone. Now, the specific law that applies to anyone and everyone, I would argue, 
and from what I've seen scripturally, is what we call the Ten Commandments. First example of this that I can think of is Exodus 20, when God met the Israelites uh, in front of Sinai, Mount Sinai, and he sat down on top of that mountain, and there was the darkness, the thunder, the lightning, the the thick cloud of his presence, and there was the trumpet blast, and it was, you know, a wonderful and terrible, horrifying and glorious, you know, appearance of God making himself known. What he did when he sat down initially was he spoke what we call the Ten Commandments. And he spoke those out of his mouth first before in Deuteronomy 15, he wrote them down for Moses on on the tablets that he had cut uh, to be placed together. So before he had written those down, he had spoken those out of his own mouth first. And for God himself to come down and say something to everybody, I deem that very, very important. Not only that, Romans 2.15 says that God had written his law on every human being's heart and that we call this thing a conscience. Conscience is a compound Latin word meaning with knowledge. And what it's implying is something that everyone knows that no one was necessarily taught. You know, it's something like instinct, but not instinct, you know, itself. Instinct is, you know, you close your eyes when you sneeze. Something like that. This is something all of us know, though it wasn't necessarily taught to us. And it's evident in, in all the world that uh, all of us know this thing. All of us have God's Ten Commandments written on our hearts. And you can find that in any court, in any country, that it is illegal to lie. That's called perjury. You know, under oath, here in, specifically in the States. Uh, it is illegal to steal anything. It is illegal to murder. It is illegal to rape. All these things, you know, there's laws against in all the countries in the world and our evidence that God had written his Ten Commandments on our heart, regardless of what they believe, what language they speak, and what culture they came from. All of us <clears throat> know what is required of us. It's, it's his thumbprint on every human being. Um, before the fall of Adam, I have this theory, and this is just a little fun, little fun moment, that the reason why we have the Ten Commandments before man had, had fallen, man had sinned, and, and, you know, we have forever corrupted our, our nature, you know, outside of Christ and outside of his redemption. With every human being that's born, there's this corrupted nature implanted in all of them. Before that, I believe the Ten Commandments were there to simply guide us and to promote you know, like I tell my kids with, with the rules that I give them, it's to keep you safe and it's to keep you all happy. It's, you know, there's, um, there's, uh, some of the 10 commandments that apply to a person and God. And then there's some of the 10 commandments, verse five through 10, uh, well, verse or not verse, uh, law four through 10 that apply to, uh, people specifically three of the commandments. They deal specifically with God. Don't blaspheme, don't have graven images, and no no other gods but Him. And then there's keep a Sabbath. You know, that's the first one that comes to mind, uh, Law 4. Why is that? Because we need rest. And God knew that. And God has made mankind to be industrious and efficient. In some countries, they're more efficient than industrious than other countries. But we understand that efficiency and... It, efficiency is a good thing 
and idleness is not productive and that productivity is a good thing. We understand these things. And at the same time, you know, any given job and they talk about safety, uh, if you have safety meetings in the morning, I've been, I've worked at places that they always have a safety meeting in the morning or on Friday mornings or something like that. Something that was said fairly often was how important rest is. And, uh, God knew how he made us and said, Hey, you need to rest, you know, on the Sabbath specifically in that instance, you know, all the other commandments, not to steal, uh, not to commit adultery. Don't covet your neighbor's belongings. You know, do not murder. All these things are about people pertaining to people. And so they fit the categories of they're to keep you safe and they're to keep you happy. It's to be considerate of others and it's, it's to be considerate of God. And uh, so that's where I conclude that knowing the Ten Commandments will be absolutely beneficial. Now, why does all this matter? I've gone through nine minutes now of explaining this, and I haven't really got to the revelation about Jesus that was really important why I'm doing the podcast in the first place. So why all this matters is, well, if we go with uh, John 5. In John 5, verse 23 through 25, I think it is. I had to think there for a second. Jesus is explaining to the Pharisees who are seeking to kill him for what they call, quote-unquote, breaking the Sabbath. And what he did that they're accusing him of is healing a man who had a withered hand on the Sabbath. Oh, my goodness. Uh, And what they just kept saying, apparently, was, uh, judging by how the scripture was written, they just kept saying he broke the Sabbath and they were trying to justify murdering Jesus. So he explained, he, he basically explained to him as it says in Hebrews, how he considered himself equal with God, yet it was not robbery. And that he said, Hey, I've, I've only done and said what I've seen my father do and say. And as the father does, so do I. And then he goes on to say, and these are the important verses, uh, verses 23 through uh, 25 that I'm talking about. I mean, they're all important, but the ones that I'm specifically emphasizing is Jesus said that the father judges no one, but has appointed judgment uh, for the son. And in this way that we people would honor Jesus in the same way that we would honor father, uh, the father. And he goes on to talk about the resurrection. And I mentioned that because this theme of he explains he's the son, he explains that he's appointed to judge, and uh, the the concept of resurrection are mentioned uh, exactly in that order in Acts 17, I think it's like verse 30 through 32. Uh, I think verse 30 deals with, you know, he's the son, and then uh, 31 and 32 it talks about how we know or God has command or God has overlooked our ignorance in times past, but now commands everyone everywhere to repent and has appointed a man for judgment and has assured us uh, of this uh, appointed judge and that he had raised him from the dead. Now in the incident that Jesus was talking to uh, the Pharisees, he explained how, you know, the father is uh, anyone who believes in the son uh, who is the resurrection will be raised, uh, has already passed from death and into life back in John chapter five. And again, in Acts 17, I think it's, uh, 32, uh, 
It's either 31 or 32. You Please, you know, look at the scripture yourself. Don't just take my word for it. He explains how he, it, uh, the Father, has shown everyone whom he has appointed as judge because he raised him from the dead. So that is the important revelation that I'm talking about. And, you know, I, I know there's a lot of crazy teachings on the book of Revelation, especially... And, and I'll just flat out say it. There's a lot of people who aren't born again who love to preach on the book of Revelation because there's this prideful sense of, oh, I know something that no one else does. You know, and so there's this great mystery that they want to reveal. Um, and there's, I'll, I'll even say that there's people who might have been born again and they're just, you know, have no real guidance or direction and they tend to lean that way as well. The thing about the book of Revelation and and this is what I tell people, is it says in the beginning, like, blessed are those who retain these words. This book is meant to hold on to. And when the time comes that all this is coming to pass, Holy Spirit will tell you, this is that time. You know, but what it is, is it's called the book of Revelation, not Revelations, but the book of Revelation, short for the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that was John on the Isle of Patmos, and Jesus revealed himself who he really is. Because in the 33 years that he spent on the earth, it was in meekness. And he came to be the high priest who uh, serves us. He he offered, you know, as it says in Hebrews, his own blood in the most holy place. Not in the tabernacle that Moses had made, but in the eternal temple that, you know, is, is in the Lord. And he offered his own blood uh, that constantly is making intercession for anyone and everyone who was lost. Uh, he offered his blood up in that place. And that's what Jesus came to do was he came, you know, as he said, you know, he came to serve, not be served. He came to seek and save that which is lost. And he couldn't have done that in the same way which he had revealed to John, you know, about his nature and what he will do when he returns. Um, you know, in Luke 4, uh, Jesus went to the temple and they gave him a scroll. It was his turn to preach. They gave him a scroll. They gave him Isaiah. And he found the spot that's on Isaiah 61. And he reads that portion of scripture. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel. And he keeps on going uh, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to uh, restore sight to the blind and, and heal all those who are oppressed. And he goes on to say, and proclaim the good and acceptable year of the Lord. And he stops. And then he rolls it back up and hands it to them. They looked in amazement because no one had preached like this. He, he taught as one with authority and they, they weren't used to that. And he tells them, uh, in your hearing, this scripture is fulfilled. Now, I say all that for context, but the important thing is he stopped on a very specific spot. He stopped where it says, and proclaimed the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, why is that important? It's because the very next breath, right after that scripture in Isaiah 61, it says, and a day of vengeance of our God. He didn't come to do that. When, when he came 2,000 years ago, that was not his purpose. Did he warn people about hell? Yes, Jesus preached more about hell than any other preacher in the Bible. Uh, and the one knowing the Father and knowing more than anyone else, you know, who, have, who has lived on this earth would ever understand about the wrath of God it's very fitting that he would warn us more, having more knowledge 
about what his father is capable of. You know, when I preach the gospel, it's not, you know, and, and I warn people about the wrath to come and the judgment coming. I'm coming from a place of, I have a general understanding that, you know, specifically what we're talking about here, Jesus will judge. And there is the wrath of God that some will experience, but it's not in the knowledge of full well knowing like Jesus. It's, I, I know that God is more powerful than I can understand and is capable of things that the human mind has not even imagined. You know, there's a, um, uh, 2 Corinthians, but the chapter and verse is, is slipping me. It says, I has not seen nor ear has heard. I think it's 2 Corinthians. It might be 1 Corinthians. Uh, I has not seen nor ear has heard, but it's talking about, you know, the wonderful things of God, the goodness of God, but, you know, pretty much anything about the fullness of the Father being revealed has not really been revealed. Uh, and it's been for our sake for the time being. There, There's a time coming. But it just has not happened yet. You know, as God told Moses, he's like, I, I can't show you my front side. Because uh, he who sees holiness will not live. But uh, I will show you my backside. When the fullness of God passed the Israel and, and they were in the cleft of the mountain, they had to hide themselves. You know, so there is a time of revealing coming. Uh, but that being said... Uh, the, the point of all this is, is specifically understanding that Jesus is the one who the Father has appointed to judge all things. And when Jesus uh, preached and, and he talked about, you know, uh, people on Judgment Day, people will be separated. There will be people on the right, people on the left. And, and he'll say to some, you know, inner good and faithful servant. To the others, depart from me. I didn't know he was talking about what he's going to do. And on, on as a person who's born again... And you know you've encountered God and God has changed your life and you may not be able to put it on a calendar date but you know that you've been born again you've encountered God you've experienced the born again experience you know you won't face the wrath of God you know that you've been justified in Jesus what this means to those of us who are on the other side of the cross who have peace between us and God the revelation about Jesus as judge, what that also means is anything he's ever said is, it's, it's fact. You know, Jesus said that, uh, that, that heaven and earth will pass away before one little tick mark of the law or the word will pass away. And that's because he is the judge. What he says goes. So anything that Jesus has ever said, you can bank on, you can stand on just like Peter, you know, this is a common thing that's preached and it's not bad at all, but it says Peter didn't walk on the water. He walked on Jesus's words when he said, you know, Jesus, if it's you, when, when uh, they were in the storm and Jesus was going to meet them on the other side and they thought they saw a ghost. And he said, Jesus, if that is you, uh, bid me to come to you and I'll come. And Jesus said, come. And Peter walked out on the water. Uh, I believe myself that it was, very simply because Jesus had enabled him, he said, come to me, that he was able to go to him. And uh, so the flip side of Jesus as judge to the born again believer is his words have absolute authority and weight and can be 100% banked on. Now to someone who's not born again, the same applies, but that means anything he's ever said pertaining to judgment is absolutely 100% true and will inevitably happen. Uh, you know, talking about uh, the book of Revelation, 
the revelation about Jesus Christ, what John uh, witnessed on the Isle of Patmos, was uh, at the end of this thing, he said that he saw Jesus come back, and uh, when his feet touched the ground, the Mount of Olives split in two, and and uh, he was in garments that were soaked in blood, and on his thigh was inscribed, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, on his head were many crowns, his eyes were, were fire, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and then it just, it goes on to explain that, you know, there was piles of bodies of those who rebelled against Jesus and how the birds of the air feasted on their corpses. Like, it doesn't sound like a very epic battle. It just sounds like Jesus showed up and it was game over. It was done. And, you know, that's just how it is. And in Luke 10, you know, when Jesus talked about uh, Satan falling, he didn't say it was an epic battle. He didn't say there was this huge battle, you know, a third of the angels versus two thirds and, and God. It was, he said, I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. Like it's, it's Satan rebelled and boom, that was just it. And that's something that I think is absolutely needed to understand is it's God's way or it's God's way. You know, we think we can rebel against God and we don't realize that we're on borrowed time. Second Peter 3, 9, talking about the judgment of God, specifically says God's not procrastinating like a lazy person, but his desire is for all men to come to repentance. And so we're literally on God's borrowed time, his love and his patience, and he's given us our next breath, which is a gift. And we use that breath, especially when we're not born again, we use that breath to curse God, to blaspheme God, to fulfill our sinful desires and I'm talking specifically sinful desires now not everything a person does is sinful some people especially of the Calvinist flavor believe that sinners are sinners because they're sinners and they'll always be sinners that's the nature of the sinner and it sounds like okay like why would that be false but here's the thing they don't believe people have choice and if people didn't have choice then it really wouldn't be sin it would be you know a dog by the same logic to people who are lost that people who are lost they will always be lost because they always were lost that they were predestined to be lost and that's just what they are and it's almost like treating people in two different categories of species uh because they they say that there's you know the elected and then they say that there's the condemned and there's no switching between the two but i really love what my pastor preached sunday it was so good and I, I'm giving a shout out to him a few times in this, and that's okay. But he talked about the very nature of God is God's ability to choose freely. And when God made man in his image, you know, way back in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, in Genesis 1, 27, God conversing said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. So he made people to be, to look just like him. Now we all look differently from each other. So was he talking about in physical appearance? Well, God is the father is the father is spirit. He he has no flesh. Jesus is the living image, you know, according to Colossians. But not all of us are of a first century Jewish background. So we're not all going to look like Jesus. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of us who very much uh, look very differently from one another. So it wasn't about physical appearance, we know that, but he was talking about in nature. Uh, you know, when you have your own children, and this is something that God spoke right there in Genesis 1. He said, let everything uh, that produces seed make after its own kind. So what that means is an apple tree will produce apples that will produce more apple trees. 
You won't have an apple tree produce a pear tree. An apple tree will always make apple trees. Uh, dogs will always make dogs. You know, we will always produce after our own kind. Well, God produced after his kind, and we produce after us, you know, so people make people. They don't need, they don't make animals. What that means is, though, is that we were made to be his children and just like him. What does God have that nothing else on earth, you know, other than people have? And that's free choice. There's lots of animals that have very similar characteristics, you know, specific characteristics that uh, some people with agendas, whether it be political or religious or otherwise, when you say, you know, oh, they're very similar to people in this way. And I find it funny that they're always comparing to people saying that, you know, we're not so different. Uh, but it's very specific characteristics. They'll have specific characteristics, but nothing has what we have. And God didn't even make us in the same way that he made everything else. Everything else he spoke into existence. He said, you know, four-legged animal, you know, exist. And it's, it just existed. It just manifested in the physical. But mankind, he formed his body from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul is what the scripture says and it's very interesting on that and that's a topic for another discussion but my point being is he made us in in his image and in his likeness and we were essentially the only thing that he worked to create because everything else he spoke into existence and it's not that that wasn't work but it was God specifically worked and and in the case of making mankind he he molded man you know uh with his own hands you know and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life the only other thing that god has worked since then is salvation isaiah 61 talking about the judgment coming talking about redemption um who is this who comes out of uh basra with clothes like edom who's arrayed in red, decked in red. And, and Isaiah goes on to ask this being, you know, why are your, why is your clothing soaked in, in red? And the response of the person that he says, uh, that he sees, says that I've trodden my own wine press and in my anger I've trodden it. There was none uh, who would help me. So in my own indignation, I trodden it. So he's talking to God and God's specifically talking about the judgment. And God is not shy about the subject at all. In fact, God seems very passionate to fulfill justice, uh, whether that's through redemption or whether that's through condemnation. And some people have issue with that. A lot of people have issue with that. But we have to understand God is so higher than us that he is not limited to our perspective by any means, nor is any creator limited to the perspective of its creation. You know, uh, Computers were made by people, but computers are not people, nor are people computers, if that makes sense. Like, we don't have, we don't have a limited perspective of, you know, the binary input that is a computer, the uh, yes or no, the, op- the affirmative or negative gate, the binary code that, that computers compute with. You know, we're not limited to just computing just like a computer because we were able to make the computer with our own abilities that far exceed the capability of a computer's does that you know does that make sense um and some people would argue that we don't have the capability but i'm talking about us in general not any specific person but mankind in general has abilities that far exceeds that 
of any given computer otherwise we would not be able to make the computer in the first place now there's there's you know i on a off topic here i think there's cognitive intellectual degeneration because we have all this information at our fingertips and we can just look anything up but nobody can do long division anymore you know that's a side topic uh but that doesn't negate from what I'm saying is that we have abilities that far uh, exceed that of a computer. And that's why we were able to make the computer. You know, Jesus said, no servant is greater than the master. Uh, now, he was talking about something completely different than making computers. Uh, but that's very true. You couldn't make something more, have more ability than yourself. You know, to whatever extent. Uh, but back on him about the judgment of God, it's absolutely necessary for people who are lost to understand that there's a time coming Hebrews nine twenty seven. there's a time coming and it's never when we like it, but it's appointed to every man the day to die once and then face judgment. And it's absolutely necessary when you're talking to people about Jesus, they need the good news because that's, what's going to save people is believing on the gospel, believing in the good news that Jesus died on the cross and at the same time this is this is just the other side of the same coin people need to understand their need for a savior and that is by revealing sin through the law and by talking about the judgment of God because the judgment of God is not just limited to condemnation it's limited to the justification as well that what this coin was designed for was to explain who God is God's character and his judgment that there's a day coming he's like okay that's it I'm not gonna put up with this anymore I'm gonna grab my people who have clung to me and, and you know they strive for the narrow gate I'm gonna grab these people I'm gonna rescue them from the corruption of sin and sinful people that refuse and have refused every day of their life I'm gonna deal with those who do not want my government who, who um, oppose uh, anything that I stand for, I'm, I'm going to deal with them and I'm going to get rid of them. And this is how God's going to establish peace is he's going to get rid of everyone who does not agree with him. And that's just how things are. And it's terrifying as a human being. It's terrifying because I don't want anybody to face the wrath of God. At the same time, I now have consideration for God because being born again, I love what God loves. I hate what God hates. Does that mean I, I want people to be judged? You know, my humanity says no, but at the same time, I don't want God to have to put up with it any longer than he wants to put up with it. What God wants, I want. You know, what God loves, I love. What God hates, I hate. And that's because he put a heart in me that's just like his. What I want, because this is what God wants, this is his desire, is that everyone is to repent, is to turn away from sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus. What God desires to do is save everybody. He doesn't want, you know, he, he would rather that everyone be saved and not a single human being go to the lake of fire. That's God's desire, you know. But because there is very much a distinction between desire and his will, and this is something my Calvinist friends get hung up on. You know, if if uh, what God desires always happened, then there wouldn't be something that's called sin, which is defined in the fact that, you know, something happened that, in, that um, God didn't like. 
you know, is very much defined in, in the fact that, you know, God has standards that we broke. You know, so there's God's desire, which is he wished everyone would be saved. And then there's God's will, which is he's going to judge regardless. And there are those who will who will uh, receive the correction of the gospel and will be saved and have eternal life. And unfortunately, there are those who won't. And uh, I know some people are hung up on a lot of minuscule things uh, who are a part of this American Christian culture. Like, for example, I ran into someone the other day and they're like, oh, well, that offends me. Well, it doesn't matter if you're offended or not. You're just you. First of all, this is much bigger than either of us. But second of all, as a Christian, I don't have to dance around offense if it's not me being offensive. If I'm simply relaying the truth of the gospel and that offends you, that's between you and God. But am I to be a jerk to people? No, God wouldn't want me to be a jerk to people. That'd make me a horrible witness. So, you know, the balance in that is it's not really my prerogative if you're offended or not. You know, it's not my job to make sure you're unoffended, nor is it my job to accommodate any sinner's sinfulness. And I say that not to differentiate people. You know, there's there's sinners and then there's Christians. It's to emphasize people that hate God. It's to emphasize people who know that there's law out there because they're conscience and live as if there's no law anyways. The, the New Testament word for lawlessness, aneus, it doesn't mean those who don't know law. It means those who know the law and ignore it. Um, you know, it's not my job to accommodate for these people. It's, it's my job to simply relay the message that God has told me to preach. And this is your job as well. It's not your job or my job to save them or, you know, we cannot save them. We cannot bring them into a kingdom. That's something God has to do. Colossians 2, he transfers us from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again of the Spirit. So it's God who's going to work that salvation. We simply relay that message because this is the system that God has set up. That he takes people who have experienced his goodness, his mercy, and his grace, and he tells them to tell everyone about his goodness, his mercy, and his grace, in lieu of the judgment that they should have had. That's very simply what God wants us to do. It makes a lot of sense to me. That's why... He doesn't, you know, prefer to have angels preach the gospel. Now, in the book of Revelation, after everything's said and done, there's going to be uh, an angel that proclaims the gospel all over the earth. But it's at that point, you know, the what's often called the dispensation of grace is over at that point because judgment's already gone through. It's simply to proclaim truth and to uh, to enforce that standard of righteousness, if, if I can explain it that way, that God has and will always have and will maintain. Uh, that's that's the, the beauty about who God is through judgment, you know, either justifying or condemning people, God is upholding his standard 100%. Either, you know, that's this is why God is more than fair in his judgment. It's because anyone can meet God in his standard, either through what Jesus did, did on the cross for us and there's the exchange of our sinfulness for his righteousness and thus the righteousness that we have came from Christ and is him fulfilling the law on our behalf and so what Christ did applies to us and thus his standard is upheld or people refuse that that, that mercy that God gives through Jesus and 
uh, he has to pronounce judgment. Either way, that standard is being upheld. So God never gave us a standard. And even if he didn't send Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and offer that mercy, he didn't give us a standard that we could not keep. We just choose not to keep. Like, it's it's possible. It's ideally possible to go through your whole life without living. Like, you would not die if you did not lie in your life. You would not die, you know, if you did not steal in your life, you know, ideally speaking. You know, these these aren't required for living like, like uh, air or like sustenance to eat, you know, none of that stuff. So, it's completely by choice. So, God is fair in that sense. And then on top of that, you know, we messed it up. We chose to sin against Him. God being so good, knowing that we would sin, you know, Second uh, Timothy says that the, uh, that the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world was even laid. So God had a plan of salvation even before He put Adam on the earth in the first place, before there was ever a sin. Being so good in every sense of that word, not only in not doing wrong, but also He's just a wonderful, awesome God who's merciful and a loving Father, you know, had the plan of Jesus even before the world was even made. So there was always an avenue provided to escape the judgment. Always has been, always will be. Even before Jesus came to anyone who would repent of their sins and, and cry out to God, he would respond in mercy. And oftentimes, like for example, with Isaiah, God reveals Jesus to him, even though Jesus has not come yet. In the same way that Jesus... Uh, was revealed to John, not in meekness, but in the revelation of, you know, the fullness of his name. He was ever limited by a uh, chronological timeline, by any sense. It has always been the same standard, whether before Jesus was born or after Jesus died on the cross in the time between. It has always been the same. God has required the same thing uh, for humanity throughout our existence, which is to turn away from sin, to be honest with him about who we really are, to cry out to him, to depend on him for our salvation, and he would do the rest. He would take care of us. He would make that divine exchange, that that divine encounter that we need with God. Uh, he would breathe new life into us. He he would change us completely. The last chapter in Deuteronomy kind of also says the same thing: that anyone who would essentially own up to the sin that they committed, that God would have mercy on. This the standard has been the same. Adam and Eve, he clothed them in animal skins. Where did he get the animal skins from? From an animal. He showed them that something innocent was to die in their place. He pricked their conscience. That was the point. And it shows that that they learned that lesson through Cain and Abel. Because uh, Abel offered a sacrifice that God accepted. They knew God's heart and they taught it to their children. One responded correctly in a way that he knew God would like. The other one... Uh, Cain responded in a way um, that was incorrect, but also, you know, he, he killed Cain killed Abel. It, it also, it showed, you know, the contrast at the same time, but both proving the same point that the standard has always been the same and that, you know, nothing has changed. And he, he even showed Adam and Eve the same standard that applied. And uh, I wanted to preach that before I go preach uh, on the street corner. Uh, I wanted I wanted to uh, do a podcast. I say preach that. I wanted to do a podcast and explain uh, how necessary it is for you, um, and especially if you're going to preach the gospel, 
uh, this is for anybody and everybody, whether you're lost, whether you're not lost, whether you feel called to preach, or whether you haven't heard that call yet. I say that because all of us are mandated to preach the gospel. Whether you're to stand behind a pulpit for the rest of your life and, and preach behind that, that's another story. But God has called all of us, if you call yourself a Christian, to preach the gospel. Uh, Mark 16, 15, that's just my scriptural citing on that. But regardless of your case, this this revelation is absolutely necessary to understand that God is going to judge someday. And he has specifically appointed Jesus to judge and has showed us this because he raised him from the dead. Uh, God showing, you know, how important this is. That wasn't the only reason, of course, that he raised Christ from the dead, but it was part of the reason why he did Uh was to show that you know he is the resurrection and the life and it's he alone who's going to judge and it makes perfect sense that the one who endured the wrath of God who understands uh, the father better than anyone who has dealt with the same standard like the same standards that are on us applied to Jesus in his 33 years of life and having been tested against those standards you know uh, the spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted uh, by the devil that's Matthew 4 he was tested and and you know it says in Hebrews that in the in the in the wilderness he learned obedience because you know prior to living in the flesh on here on earth him and the father had always been in 100% agreement and Jesus had not needed to learn you know subjection to something else or someone else uh it's just, it's so beautiful. I mean, Jesus fulfilled that standard under the same circumstances that you and I have and showed us that there's no excuse, but also at the same time justified God's standard of righteousness and holiness that he has applied and at the same time offers uh, the remission for that sin when that standard is broken. It's so beautiful. It makes perfect sense that Jesus would be appointed judge. Because he felt the force of temptation. He knows what you and I deal with. God wouldn't put a situation, you know, he wouldn't appoint anybody, you know, he didn't appoint an angel a judge who wouldn't understand temptation because when they sinned, you know, they fell. And also never had a chance to experience redemption. You know, Jesus being the redeemer and understands full and well what happens to people when they repent and believe you know it's through what jesus says that we know that the father rejoices when the sinner repents like he said that uh, all of heaven rejoices at one sinner repenting than a thousand just men like that's what the scripture says we know that uh jesus knows the ins and outs of 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 anything and everything that a human being would deal with in the ins and outs of the father's heart and so there's no one more appropriate to be judged than who the Lord appointed, who is Jesus. And I think that helps paint a clear picture in the mind of someone, whether they're born again or not, just who Jesus is. That he's a wonderful Savior. He, what he is, is he's almighty God, hidden in flesh, who first came to seek and save that which is lost, but will still bring imminent judgment to bring about his reign of peace and his government ever expanding and increasing and never knowing any end and completely about you know his glory 
and God getting glory and all of creation giving God glory and everything and everything that he did. You know, yes, he loves us. He also did this for his glory so that he can show us off to everything else of look what I did. I took someone who hated me, who made themselves my enemy, and I, I made them into a child and they love me and they follow me and they would give their life for me. That's that's how God he's passionate about his glory and he, just as much as he wants to save anybody. And, you know, he gets to show off in that way. And rightfully so. No one else has a right to show off, but God can show off. Sorry, I kind of ramble a lot when I make a point. Uh, And this has kind of gone on a little bit longer than what I expected. But I really wanted to drive home the necessary revelation that Jesus is judge. And if you preach the gospel, this will help you better relay the information that you know we're mandated to preach better to to preach the gospel and the reason why we need the gospel in the first place and i'll tell you the only people who tend to get upset are lost people in the church who are very religious i've never met you know i've been in some pretty shady places i've worked I'm, i've been a welder by trade for you know almost about yeah a decade And I've worked with people that cannot work in any other given circumstances, that they have felonies that prevent them from living a life like normal because they've done some shady things. And you know what? People, for the most part, that have, that are not religious, really appreciate when you give them the full picture. And I, for the most part, like being around individuals like that because they don't lie to your face. Um, A lot of times, honesty I mean, it just, not to quote Abraham Lincoln, but it's the best policy. And and people that are lost, they get it. They understand it was designed for them. The information that, that the Bible tells us to preach is because God knows how we are. He made us. And, you know, as our engineer, he knows best how to fix us. And so why go against what the scriptures say? Why go against our creator who says to preach this way? Because he knows best how to fix us. And it's been my experience that anybody other than a religious lost person tends to really receive this really well. A lot of times what I hear is that makes sense. And it's true. And so I, I, I want to leave you with this revelation and hope that it encourages you to not shy from fundamental truths that there's an imminent, imminent judgment. And it's needed uh, to be said just as much as Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. As a matter of fact, it makes sense to say it all together, that you've sinned against God, you've provoked God to wrath, God will judge you, but fortunately for you, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost, and through what he did in his life, and and hanging on the cross, becoming sin for you, becoming your sin on the cross, and the Father crushing him in your place so that you can live, if you'll repent and believe, you can experience the salvation that, that Jesus offers. A lot of times... You'll hear a, hey, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, even even from what people would deem as the worst of the worst. And, you know, that's that's been my experience in, in the 10 years of doing this. So I hope experience, but mainly scripture. I, I, I really, what I, what I really want is scripture, like, uh, really hitting your heart and you standing on the word. But I hope that you'd be encouraged that someone would say, hey, you know, I am a, I, I do this on regular, and, you know, this is my experience of what the Word of God says will happen. So I hope you get encouraged by that. 
and I hope you preach the gospel, and I hope you don't shy from any truth, and I hope you stand your ground, no matter how intimidating a situation might feel, because in the end, like, Jesus is so worthy for all that he has suffered for, and God deserves the glory of the whole world coming to him, and the whole world seeing him as their God, because what he gave, you know, the Father gave the Son, and the Father deserves, you know, an interest on, on his investment, if you want to think of it that way. He deserves the the fruit of his labor, of sowing his Son, you know, for us, and that's the salvation of the world, and Jesus deserves the salvation of the world, because he suffered for all, for, for everyone, he took upon himself the entirety of sin, and took upon himself the wrath of God so that you and I will never have to experience that. And he took upon himself feeling that separation, you know, on the cross. He said, my father, my, my father, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced that separation so that we don't have to experience that a single uh, moment more in our lives. You know, our sins do separate us from God. But because Christ took upon that separation, because Christ took upon our sin, and, you know, we don't have to, we, we can escape the consequences and rightfully so and the, the judgment because we've sinned against him because there'd be that remission of sin. In the same way, you know, there's also Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes we are healed. Everything that Jesus suffered for, he's worthy of us receiving the benefit of his suffering. So sickness is to be healed broken bones to be healed cancer to leave and sinners brought to repentance all the same because Jesus suffered for it all the chastisement of of our peace was upon him Jesus suffered so that you don't have to live in anxiety and in fear you know uh, he can give you the the mind of Christ and you can have peace that surpasses all understanding Philippians 4 so that you know you don't have to endure the the heavy weight of depression like jesus suffered for all these things so that we could benefit entirely from it and god get glory from us receiving those benefits and i, I would just i would leave you with that that you know in, in all this you know and who god is and everything that he's done it benefits us including the revelation that jesus will judge and so i want to leave you with that and I hope this did challenge you in a good way, and I hope it encourages you to go out and preach the gospel and to preach the whole truth and to speak the truth in love, that we don't have to be jerks about it at all. The message in itself is pretty offensive, I'm not going to lie. The good news isn't offensive, but the whole message. And, you know, that being said, though, it is received oftentimes more than not uh, because this message was designed for lost people in the first place that uh, God had specifically tailored it for the person who's not seeking after him. And so I would encourage you with that. And, you know, I hope you have a blessed day and I'll put this up soon and finally get to the street corner. Thank you.